you're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. The pastor of a megachurch, famous for asking atheists, how's that working out for you, committed suicide recently. According to Religion News Service, he had a habit of sinful conduct. So how should we react to this news? Is it good or bad? What's this mean for atheism? What's it mean for the movement? Televangelist Jim Baker, aka Bonus Bucket Jim, the Silver Soul Salesman, got in some deep shit with the FDA recently for claiming his colloidal silver solution cures the coronavirus. He decided it would be best if he took a break from his show for a while. During his sabbatical, as he called it, his wife just announced that he suffered from a stroke. Kentucky, a bastion of stupidity in a sea of ignorance. Kentucky Christians win the fight to spread COVID-19 through in-person church services. A federal judge blocked Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir's temporary ban on mass gatherings, thus de facto opening the door for idiots to spread the disease. We're gonna take a look at the case and see what happens next. If you want to call in and leave a voicemail, the number is 1-800-701-8573. Try to keep it 30 to 45 seconds long because I won't be able to listen to the longer ones on the actual podcast just for time constraints and things like that. So keep that in mind if you do end up calling in. Hey, this is Owen. If you're comfortable, leave your first name and state at the sound of the tiny truck backing up. Hey, this is uh, Andre from Michigan. Um, I was wondering... How would a Mormon missionary or some elders take to objective scientific evidence disproving their faith? I watched your uh, Mormon reacting to South Park video, and I thought it was pretty interesting uh, how she was trying to kind of cover the tracks blindly. And I'm just, you know, Hypothetically speaking, if, if elders were to come to my door and I presented them with concrete evidence that it was all BS, how would they take it and how could I convince them that they were wrong and they're believing in something that's a cult, that's, that's they're following a bunch of charlatans, saying so and love the content? Extremely interesting question. So to summarize, basically, if Mormon elders come to your door and you provide this solid, indisputable, objectively true information that disproves the claims that the Mormon church makes, how would they react? So I think my guess would be if you push hard enough, then they're going to say that you're an apostate and a lost cause and they're just going to leave and that and just call it there. If you presented it in a more mild, non-confrontational way, they'd probably try to come up with explanations or reasons or answers for it. Um, and when you just say that's just factually incorrect, like there's no evidence for what you're saying here at all. In fact, there's evidence against it. They may say, well, we'll just have to research a little bit more. We'll have to, we'll look it up and we'll get back to you. Of course, they'll never get back to you. They may not even ever look it up. But I don't want to leave the question there because there is, uh, there is more to this. Last week, I talked about the CES letter 
how there were just knockout punches, questions that simply cannot be answered by the Mormon church, objective facts that disprove their claims, period. No questions asked. But, interestingly enough, there is something called debunking the CES letter. It's a Mormon response to CES letter questions. And I don't think this is an official thing exactly. I think this is like a, like an unofficial apologetics type of thing. Uh, but it is very, very interesting. So let's just take a short look. I don't want to spend too much time on it because we do have a lot of voicemails to get to. But let's take a quick glance at this and see what it is. So last week on the podcast, we talked about the book of Abraham. And and the many problems with the book of Abraham, like the the fact that he did get these hieroglyphics, that, that is factual. He had these hieroglyphics, but we know what these hieroglyphics were. We know what they looked like. Parts of the hieroglyphics were kind of decayed and broken away. So Joseph Smith filled in the parts that were broken uh, with his own drawings, what he was claiming that God was providing to him. We just know that that's factually incorrect. That is not what they look like, period. So this is the CES letter response. Let's look at what it says here. There's only one short section on the book of Abraham. They don't, they don't even address all of the questions in the CES letter, and it's kind of scattershot, too. It's, it's all over the place. So let's just start at the top here and see what it says. This is from the original CES letter. Despite Joseph Smith's claim that this record was written by Abraham by his own hand upon papyrus, scholars have found the original papyrus Joseph Smith translated and have dated it in the first century CE, nearly 2,000 years after Abraham could have written it. They dated the papyrus 2,000 years younger than Joseph Smith claims it was. So here is um, the, the Mormon response to that. The phrase, by his own hand, quote-unquote, upon papyrus, refers to the original record, which may have been recopied multiple times. It needn't refer to anything more than original authorship. Okay, uh, let's just take this one claim at a time. It didn't say anything like what he claimed it said, okay? said nothing like that. We can throw that entire idea out. From the get-go. It was not Abraham. He did not write it. It, it. it didn't even contain the name Abraham in it. Had nothing to do with Abraham. Let's just continue on from there. Let's see what else it says. Uh, this is from the CES letter again. Egyptologists have found the source material for the book of Abraham to be nothing more than a common pagan Egyptian funerary text for a deceased man named Hor in 1st century CE. In other words, it was a common breathing permit that the Egyptians buried with their dead. It has absolutely nothing to do with Abraham or anything Joseph claimed in his translation for the book of Abraham. Now, here's the response to that. Here's the, the debunk, quote-unquote, for that. The church has long acknowledged that the recovered fragments um, of the Joseph Smith papyri are not the book of Abraham, but instead are copies of the book of breathings and the book of the dead. The discovery was celebrated on the cover of the Improvement Era, January 1968. Okay, now, I, I don't think that that's what they claim. I don't think the Mormon Church claims that. 
even if the Mormon church doesn't accept that these are the hieroglyphics that Joseph Smith was translating from, they just were. I mean, we have the drawings here. We can look at the drawings here. So this is a, this is a funerary text. This picture that, I, that I'm highlighting here, this is the funerary that breathing permit that would go in people's tombs, basically, when they died. It was a picture of this jackal-like creature over top of this person uh, with the birds and everything else. That's what it looked like. That's what it looked like. What breathing permits looked like. We have like a billion examples of these. This right here, what we're looking at is the physical papyrus that Joseph Smith had. And we can see it's missing the jackal's head. It's missing the center of the body. It's missing the bird's head. It's missing the bird completely on the left side here. And guess what? What do we find? The facsimiles that Joseph Smith drew fill in the exact gaps that were missing from the original that we found in that museum. Everything is exactly the same in Joseph Smith's facsimiles, except for the missing pieces, like the, the, the decayed parts that are missing. Those are the only differences in the facsimiles. And they're just wrong. They're, it, it's nonsensical. To look at what Joseph Smith drew here in the facsimiles, it's completely nonsensical. Does not make any sense. In the language that Egyptians used, it doesn't make any sense. So th this defense of the, book, of the book of Abraham that's being provided here in the debunk of the CES letter is based on a complete misunderstanding of how hieroglyphics work, like on, on the most basic level. And a refusal to see just factual information right in front of you. Let's continue reading this and see what it says here. From the CES letter, the following is a side-by-side -side comparison of what Joseph Smith translated in facsimile 1 versus what he actually says according to Egyptologists and modern Egyptology. Last week, we pulled this up and we looked at it. Joseph Smith's interpretation of what the words said were the angel of the Lord. Abraham fastened upon the altar, the idolatrous priest of Elkanah, you know, the idolatrous god of Elkanah, the idolatrous god of Libna, things like that. Where in reality, what it actually said was the spirit or Ba of Hor, the deceased, his name was Hor, Anubis, a common funeral beer or lion couch. This is the god Horus. I mean, completely different, like not the same in any way, shape, or form, right? So here's the defense of Mormonism against this section of the CES letter. When it says here, the following is a side-by-side -side comparison of what Joseph Smith translated, the word translated is circled, and they have a defense of the word translated here. Their defense says, the CES letter ignores the fact that Joseph Smith never claimed to translate like modern translators. Translation for Joseph Smith occurred as he reviewed texts like the Old Testament and revealed the book of Moses. Okay. <laughs> so what they're saying is that Joseph Smith interpreted the book, not translated. We're misusing the word translate. They're changing the meaning and the definition of words. Look, if Joseph Smith claims to have gotten this piece of papyrus and taken words from it and given us the, new, the meaning of those words, what he was doing was he was translating it. 
That's what he was doing. That's what he was claiming. And he was completely wrong. So their defense is, what they're saying is, Joseph Smith took this funerary breathing permit, this Egyptian funerary text, and even though it said something completely different, completely unrelated to what he was claiming it said, the message was still coming from God. So he could have taken Moby Dick and in French and come up with the book of Abraham, and it would have been perfectly valid. That's basically what they're saying here. Next, they've circled the part where it's basically the list of words that Joseph Smith translated and the actual translations. So they've circled that section, um, basically what Joseph Smith got wrong. And here's their response to it. This assumes that Joseph Smith translates the papyri in the same way as modern Egyptologists, which is a false assumption. The differences shown on these graphics only validate that reality and are not unexpected. Joseph Smith could only translate through the gift and power of God, and his revelatory translations may require time to understand. For example, many things in the book of Revelation are not completely understood, even by the best biblical scholars today. So, basically what they're saying is, yeah, we know Joseph Smith didn't translate the book exactly. It's not Word for word, what the thing said. We know it was a breathing permit from Egypt. We know it didn't have anything to do with Abraham. We know it didn't say anything about him. We know it wasn't written by him. But Joseph Smith could have taken a piece of tree bark and translated, quote unquote, the book of Abraham for it because God was telling him what to say. So in the end, this funerary text is completely irrelevant we didn't even need it. Joseph Smith could have just told us what the book of Abraham said. And if that's the case, why did he claim that he was translating directly from this funerary text? Why, was, why did he lie about what this thing said? It, it's just a, a piss-poor defense of Mormonism here. Seriously, it's a piss-poor defense. I'm sorry. I can't accept it. Back to the voicemail question. In the end, I would say they're probably just going to deny it and say it was a misunderstanding and that they'll get back to you. That's probably what they would do. Hey, Owen, it's Andre from Michigan again. I'm aware that you're an atheist and you're an extra hoax witness. Uh, what are your opinions on, like, Catholics and very religious Jews and um, some uh, religious groups of, 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 of the Islamic faith? I'm aware that None of those are really colds, but just your opinion on them as a whole. Uh, thanks, and have a nice day. Very interesting question. So what's my opinion on uh, Islam, basically, is, for, is what I'm getting from the question. What's my opinion on Islam, on Catholicism, and other groups like that? To be a cult, I believe that it needs to be a distinct, specific group. Islam and Catholicism are more categories than groups. Like Christianity is a category, right? It's, it's, it's a label that people take for themselves or they don't take for themselves. It's a label that Jehovah's Witnesses take, that Mormons take. 
It's a label that Heaven's Gate members took, that Jonestown took. It's a very broad label, Christianity is. And Islam is a broad label, too. There are all kinds of different uh, Muslim groups out there that fall under the Islamic umbrella. And for that reason, I say that Islam is not a cult. But there are Islamic cults out there. For example, ISIS is, a, is an Islamic cult. Um, there are others. The reason that I don't really get into Islam very much is because I really don't know much about it. I, I know a lot about it, but I feel like I don't know enough to speak in an authoritative way. I know a whole hell of a lot about Christianity and cults and things, so I feel comfortable talking about it in an authoritative way. And if I fuck something up, I am ready and willing to take responsibility for that fuck up, for that mistake, and I will put out a correction. But with Islam, I, I'm just not comfortable enough with it to be able to talk about it. It... it at any length. That's why I don't talk about Islam, if anybody was wondering. But since you brought it up, I will mention it. Uh, Islam is extremely harmful. There are some extremely harmful Islamic sects, and S-E-C-T-S, and cults out there that need to be addressed. And I feel like, in a lot of ways, Islam is inherently dangerous to talk poorly about, especially if you're an ex-Muslim. So I'm kind of sad to see that the ex-Muslim field on YouTube and other social media is very small. It's not very large. There are not very many of them speaking up about it because, for one thing, it's extremely dangerous and for another thing, it's it's very unified in thought. It's hard to leave that religion, in part because it's not just a religion, it's a way of life. As I was saying, I will do anything that I can to encourage ex-Muslims to come out of it and, and raise their voices up in the community, if if at all possible. But it's not something that I know enough about to talk on in an authoritative way, so I just don't. Uh, hi, Owen. This, my name is Tiger, and I am from Montana. Um, so I am starting to question my faith in God. My family's uh, Catholic. I told my dad that I watch your videos. I am a big fan. And um, what I wanted to ask is, although this may be a stupid question, how can I stop my Catholic family, from, or at least my dad, from demonizing atheists and um, people who just don't believe in God or the same way that uh, they do? Thanks. If you can get, uh, if you can answer this, and uh, have a great day. Awesome question. I appreciate it. No stupid questions. That one is not a stupid question. It's a, it's a valid question. It's a good question. How do you get people to stop demonizing? the other really is what it boils down to right there is an aspect of tribalism to the human psyche generally speaking people want to find others like them and 
trust them inherently and distrust others inherently who are not like them. And we just look at the Republican v. Democrat situation in America, you know? Republicans don't trust Democrats. Democrats don't trust Republicans inherently. Liberals versus conservatives, they just don't trust each other. There is a level of tribalism going on there that's very disturbing. I think the best way to get people to bridge that gap is to show them that you are this thing that they fear or distrust or don't like otherwise. Show them that you are this thing and that you are just like them. Befriend them and talk to them about the beliefs or the feelings or the ideals and show them that it's not horrific or scary. It's really not all that different. Like, we're all humans. There's really no reason to fear or hate or, or anything like that. We're all humans. When we come back, we're going to be talking about a controversial megachurch pastor who died recently, and the cause of his death is a subject of hot debate right now. So give us 30 seconds, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. first article I wanted to take a look at is entitled, Pastor Who Often Asked Atheists, How's That Working Out For You? Dies of Suicide. I saw this on Our Atheism, uh, the subreddit, the other day, and it had like 25,000 upvotes or something like that, and so I had a little bit to say about it. So let's give the article a read and see what it says. This is by Terry Firma on the Friendly Atheist website. Darren Patrick, a megachurch pastor, author, and speaker, has died of an apparent self-inflicted gunshot wound, according to a statement from his church. He had a checkered past, says Religion News Service. In 2016, Patrick was fired from The Journey, a six-location megachurch in St. Louis he co-founded, TF, for what church officials said was misconduct, including inappropriate meetings, conversations, and phone calls with two women, and a pattern of sinful conduct, including lying, abuse of power, and lack of self-control. Um, I figure if he was sleeping with him, they would have just said adultery, but they didn't say adultery. They said lying, abuse of power, lack of self-control. I'm not really sure what happened. I, I don't know what any of that means. I'm guessing he was flirting with them, hitting on them, or something like that. I don't know. There's nothing wrong with those things inherently if it's just a dude and and other people. But this guy is in a position of power, is highly respected, and it is inappropriate for him to hit on quote-unquote fans like that, if you want to call them fans. It's not okay. It's wrong. Straight up. I have a big problem with content creators like myself hitting on and or sleeping with fans. I think it's wrong. They just should not do it. It's an abuse of power, just like they mention here. And I have a lot of nuanced views about it that I, I would talk about at length in another episode of this, but not now. Uh, let's just continue on with the article. 
Patrick went through 26 months of restoration, which included spiritual and marriage counseling, ultimately resuming his religious work in a new job as a teaching pastor at Seacoast Church, a mega church in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. Wow, so the dude, he co-founded a mega church that had six locations, and he was fired from it. That must suck to co-found a mega church or to co-found anything at all and then get fired from it. That would be awful. Not to mention the fact that it's a church, so it's not publicly traded on the stock market, as far as I know. And that means he could, as far as I know, he didn't have any stock in it, so he can't pay out or anything. He just has to walk away completely empty-handed from it. A friend of his, Bob Osh, told RNS during an impromptu remembrance that Patrick would often ask people who lived without God in their lives, how's that working out for you? And that was a great way of getting people to see the value of putting God in their lives, Osh said. I can, I still call it the Darren question. A great way of getting people to see the value of putting God in their lives. Well, sorry, I beg to differ, says Terry Firma. The question, if that's how Patrick phrased it, has an unmistakable edge of judgment and condescension to it. That's true, I agree. It's what you might ask a habitual drug user or someone with a chronic anger problem if you didn't mind coming off as a bit disagreeable. It's not nearly the same as the natural, what made you choose that path, or tell me about the pros and cons of that. Instead, how's that working out for you is a tidy little bouquet of mild aggression and superiority with a top note of amusement. Yeah, 100% agree with that assessment. It wouldn't be couth or kind to posthumously ask the deceased pastor how being a fervent fan of God has worked out for him. So instead, I'll just point out that the scourge of clinical depression hangs heavily over America's clergy. There's no lack of statistics about pastors in depression, burnout, health, low pay, spirituality, relationships, and longevity, and none of them are good. According to the Schaefer Institute, 70% of pastors constantly fight depression, and 71% are burned out. Meanwhile, 72% of pastors say they only study the Bible when they're preparing for sermons. 80% believe pastoral ministry has negatively affected their families, and 70% say they don't have a close friend. That's sad, man. That's extremely sad. The Schaefer Institute also reports that 80% of seminary and Bible school graduates will leave the ministry within five years. It's not clear how many commit suicide, but it's clear that pastors are not immune to it. Our hearts go out to Pastor Patrick's loved ones and to all people in any profession and from any background who struggle with depression and suicidal thoughts. If that's you, you don't have to go it alone. Help is available. Really well said. 100% agree with that assessment. The reason I wanted to read this article is because I saw this article posted on r slash atheism subreddit with a big title at the top that said, Pastor who often asks atheists, how's that working out for you, dies of suicide. That's kind of a clickbaity title. It has the same level of veiled aggression that the writer talks about in the article that this pastor has by asking this question in the first place. I feel like titling this article the way he did was a bad choice. This is a pretty serious situation, and as the author writes in here very clearly, 
It's sad. There's nothing happy about this when a human life is lost. Period. I do not take joy in this situation that somebody was struggling with depression to the point that they ended it. That's extremely heartbreaking for his family members, for everybody. I just don't like it. I just don't want this to have been the case. I wish that we could have helped the guy, honestly. I wish we could have helped the guy. But that was not conveyed in the title of this article. The title of this was trying to kind of poke at this pastor in in a way. And it was picked up by the subreddit r slash atheism and upvoted 25,000 times or something like that. And all of the other subreddits that I follow started talking shit about the r slash atheism subreddit glorifying and celebrating somebody's death because of the title of this article and how many times it was upvoted in that subreddit. Like, not just one subreddit said that. Multiple subreddits were saying, look, r slash atheism is celebrating someone's death again. When we title things like this and upvote it to oblivion, it reflects really poorly on us, and it just does not represent any movement I want to be a part of, period. If that's what atheism's about, then exclude me from the movement. That's not what atheism is about, and I am a part of the movement. I'm just saying we need to make sure that we're more careful in the future not to look like we're celebrating somebody's death because that's straight up what it looks like here just from the title not from the rest of the article i think the rest of the article was on point i think the title was too clickbaity when we come back we're going to talk about televangelist jim baker taking a sabbatical from his show and then having a stroke so give us 30 seconds and we'll be right back you're listening to the telltale channel don't forget to check me out on all social media patreon twitter teespring and etsy all links can be found in the description or on my website telltaleatheist.com So the next article I wanted to take a look at is entitled Televangelist Jim Baker Had a Stroke and is on Sabbatical from His TV Show. So let's give this article a read and see what it says. This is by Hemant Mehta on the Friendly Atheist website. Televangelist Jim Baker is taking time off from his show to recuperate from what his wife and co-host Lori says was a stroke. The news comes just days after his legal team told a court that his show's hawking of a false COVID-19 cure is merely an example of Baker exercising his religious freedom. Therefore, any attempt to stop him is a form of Christian persecution. Big surprise. Of course, that's the angle he would take with it. Lori Baker posted this message on the show's Facebook page. I wanted to share with you, our loving and caring partners, that Jim recently experienced a stroke. We are thankful that Jim is okay and that he's now at home with our family. Under the guidance of medical professionals and our board of directors, Jim will be taking a sabbatical from the show. Jim will be back. He is still dreaming and hearing from the Lord. 
That's weird. And he already has a powerful word to deliver when he returns to the air. Yeah, I'll bet he does. And that word is buy. His silver solution, his giant buckets of apocalyptic food, his inevitable new pacemakers, etc. Oh, that's pretty funny. Uh, who wrote this? This is Hemant Mehta. That's actually really funny. Oh, look, I said this in the last article that I was reading about the pastor who committed suicide. I don't like to see anybody hurt. I don't want anybody to be hurt. I think everybody is a hero of their own stories. They believe themselves to be good people most of the time. You have the occasional piece of garbage who is setting out to benefit themselves and literally nobody else. But generally speaking, everyone is a hero of their own stories. When you look at it from that perspective, you realize that you would really rather not anybody get hurt. You'd rather try to rehabilitate people. You'd rather try to fix that broken perspective that they have so that they can be a, a functioning member of society again. I, I don't want anybody to die. I don't want anybody to have a stroke. I would rather Jim Baker pull it together and be a normal functioning member of society instead of a scam artist who is straight up lying about what his medicines do. In the article, it says that word is buy. His silver solution, his giant buckets of, pop, of apocalyptic food, his, his inevitable new pacemakers, etc., some people may not know this, but people call him Bonus Bucket Jim because he sold these things called bonus buckets or basically giant-ass buckets full of food that was supposed to last like 50 years or something like that. And it was for when the apocalypse starts. Christians buy just tons and tons of these buckets of food that never like expire, pretty much. They'll be set. Or if they're raptured, the people in their lives who weren't raptured will be set because they'll have all these bonus buckets. So that's why they're talking about giant buckets of apocalyptic food. It's pretty funny. I call him bonus bucket Jim Baker. I should cover the bonus buckets one of these days. Anyway, let's continue reading here. It's not clear when the stroke occurred. It's also worth noting how there's literally no mention of his silver solution, even though Baker and his guests said that it cured everything from venereal diseases to HIV. It'll do everything except fix a stroke, apparently. That's a pretty fair point, actually. While I wish him well for the sake of his family, here's hoping prosecutors don't take any sympathy on him. He's done plenty of harm by peddling garbage to poor elderly people. That's not even taking into account how he sold people a warped sense of faith, and he should be held accountable for it. Yeah, he's just another televangelist, and honestly, like, televangelists are fucking weird, man. Like, they, they kind of weird me out, like, heavily weird me out. They are the exact opposite of what Jesus taught. It's easier for a rich man to get into heaven than for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle. That, that's a pretty clear message. Jesus doesn't like rich people. It doesn't get much clearer than that. But these televangelist response to that is, if you read the rest of the verse, the rest of the verse says, but all things are possible in God. It's like, are you kidding? It just delivered a very succinct, clear message here. These people are the exact opposite of what Jesus taught or respected or believed in in any way. 
and they are just getting loaded off of teaching about it. It just it, it blows my mind, seriously. They're scam artists. They are all scam artists. It's absolutely disgusting. Jesus would be disgusted if he were real and if he were here and he saw these guys on TV. When we come back, we're going to talk about a federal judge overturning Kentucky governor's rule about churches meeting publicly. So give us 30 seconds and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. Next article I want to take a look at is entitled Kentucky Christians Win Fight to Spread COVID-19 Via In-Person Church Services. This one's by Hemant Meta again, on The Friendly Atheist. To catch you guys up, uh, a couple of weeks ago I was talking about Andy Bashir. He basically made this agreement for Easter Sunday. He said, if you guys want to go to church on Easter Sunday, fine, but... We're going to have police going around to every car, taking down license plate numbers and putting a notice on your car that says uh, you are obligated to socially quarantine yourself for 14 days after that event. We're going to be turning the names over to our local CDC and they're going to be following up to make sure that you're quarantining. That's a perfectly fair trade-off in my mind. Perfectly fair trade-off. If you want to go celebrate Easter at church on Sunday and put yourself in danger, fine, do do it. You're welcome to do it, but you have to quarantine for 14 days after that. I couldn't have come up with a better idea, honestly. It's a really solid trade. It's a fair trade. So that's where we left off with this guy. Let's uh, start on the article and see what it says. Last night, a federal judge blocked Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir's temporary ban on mass gatherings, opening the door for a hell of a lot of in-person church services tomorrow, where COVID-19 will inevitably spread among the Christians who wrongly think they're victims of a conspiracy. Gatherings are allowed over the internet. We're not... You still have a right to assemble. You just can't assemble in person, physically, within six feet of each other. It's just not good for public health. Their irresponsible actions could then affect all the people they come into contact with. There were multiple lawsuits making the same basic argument, that religious freedoms of Christians were under attack. It wasn't just Christians not allowed to gather, okay? And Christians are perfectly allowed to gather. They always have been. They just have to do it over the internet. They can't do it in person. That's the only bar here. And not just Christians, literally everybody. We're all in this together right now. The world is in this together. And your stupid ass is complaining about it. Like, give me a break. One group of Christians at Maryville Baptist Church became furious when police officers placed warnings on cars outside their church after they held an in-person service in mid-April. Perfectly fair trade-off, honestly. You want to go to church? You have to quarantine for two weeks. I couldn't have come up with a better idea myself, honestly. They soon turned the persecution dial to 11, saying that their situation was analogous to Japanese Americans who were placed in internment camps in the 1940s. Oh, please. Why don't you talk to George Takei about that? He grew up in one of those Japanese internment camps. <laughs> what a joke, man. This is really, truly sad. 
that these people are so deluded, honestly. Last night, they won the exemption they sought, but only for their church. A different lawsuit filed by Tabernacle Baptist Church in Nicholasville is the one that will now open the door for widespread gatherings in churches. That ruling by U.S. District Judge Gregory F. Van Tatenhove said that Bashir didn't act maliciously, but his restraining order failed to include a compelling reason to limit the right of people to gather for church. Really? A compelling reason? There's no compelling reason? Are, are you serious? Millions of people are sick. Tens of thousands, coming up on 100,000 people are dying just in this country alone. It's increasing exponentially. There's no compelling reason, not one that you can think of. Apparently, you might die and or infect everyone you meet isn't compelling enough. Thank you. Jesus. The judge also failed to note the differences between places like grocery stores, where people don't chat, go in and out as quickly as possible, and buy life-sustaining goods, and churches that could easily be held online. Yeah, you can get the same exact service from a church online that you get in person. The exact same information being provided. Everything's the same. You're just safe. If you do it online, it's the main difference. It's absolutely ridiculous that people are, are claiming this persecution complex. If social distancing is good enough for Home Depot and Kroger, it's good enough for in-person religious services, which, unlike the foregoing, benefit from constitutional protection. We have to get food to survive as a species. Do you understand how that's different from going to church versus holding church services on Zoom. This is outrageous. Like, how are these people alive? I swear, people are so fucking stupid sometimes. That That's like my mantra. People are idiots. I got on Reddit recently, and like every other post is somebody doing something really stupid. That's my mantra. People are idiots. The end result is that churches in Kentucky will be allowed to meet in person, provided they adhere to social distancing and hygiene guidelines, but there's really no way to verify that's happening. People who haven't seen their friends in months will inevitably talk at close distances, hug, and breathe communal air. This is a disaster waiting to happen. They could listen to sermons online, but these people aren't interested in private religion. They need public displays of piety or else it doesn't count. That's a solid point right there. Really good point. And if others suffer, too damn bad. More people will die because these Christians reject science, wrongly think Democrats are out to get them, and value their wants over everyone else's needs. That's their MO. I mean, that's how it's been. That's why the work that Hemant Mehta does on the Friendly Atheist and that other YouTubers do is really important. Make sure that people know that this shit is going on. These people are selfish pieces of garbage sometimes. It, it, it's just extremely sad. The whole thing is extremely sad. Let's take a look at some super chats. Wow, lots of super chats today. Thank you, guys. That's awesome. That's the bee's knees, if you will. Or the bee sneeze. Imagine a little tiny bee sneezing how cute that would be right although i think it'd be really weird because i think they breathe through their skin so i don't know what a sneeze would look like for a bee but anyways that is the bee sneeze thank you guys for the super chats and i will uh, address them in a little while jennifer middleton happy 100th podcast thank you uh zolfner i hate you no you don't you love me 
Zolfner, I hate you. No, you don't. You love me. You can keep saying it, but I know you're full of it. I hate you. Also, I got drunk yesterday super hard. You missed a good chance to my bank account. That's not why I do this, um, but I appreciate that. Thank you for coming to the podcast anyways. Mike34Dog, what's your favorite Black Sabbath song? Probably... Oh, that's a good question. I fucking love Black Sabbath. Um, let me think about it for a second. Into the Void, Sweet Leaf is pretty good. I, I like the, the albums Paranoid and Master of Reality. Planet Caravan is really good. Oh, yeah, I hope that's a good enough answer for you. No one likes the Gaytheist. Oh, you're full of it. Everyone loves the Gaytheist. No one likes Zolfner. Actually, that may be factual. <laughs> Thanks uh, for the super chat, the Gaytheist. Have you ever heard of Aaron Ra? I like him. Oh, yeah. Aaron Ra is the shit. I've had dinner with him. We've hung out a couple of times. He spoke at a conference I run. It's pretty cool. He's a really cool guy. He carries a hairbrush in his pocket and whips it out randomly and brushes his hair. It's fucking metal. The dude is metal from head to toe. He, he's the shit. I love Aaron Ra. Leah Bryant, does the Ku Klux Klan qualify as a cult? Yes, most definitely does. 100% for sure, yes. I haven't really talked about this at length, but I live in a backwoods town that's very disturbing sometimes. Uh, the Ku Klux Klan, the KKK, actually drove around to every house in my little town and threw bags of rice with a pamphlet inside on everyone's doorstep. I think they put the rice in the bag with the pamphlet so they didn't have to get out of the car. They could just toss it from their cars. They did it at night. They drove up and down every single block, every single uh, street and avenue, and just tossed the bags with the, like, the propaganda pamphlet in it and hit people's doors, go to the next house, toss it. I actually have a picture of it. It's extremely fascinating. It's about Islamophobia and the Islamization of America. It's really, really interesting. I'll, I'll talk about it on my channel one of these days. Thank you for asking that question. Really, really interesting question. Lucifer Lafleur, my JW mother and brother just both just celebrated their birthdays for the first time in 30 years. Fuck yes it's official my whole family has left the truth i love it that's fucking awesome i love that shit that's really good news happy birthday to them although i have to say birthdays are really awkward come to find out birthdays are really fucking strange affairs it's just really colorful and there's singing and it's just really weird like the traditions are just very very odd generally speaking but i'm so glad for that for them and for you and for me that we all get to celebrate birthdays and live our lives like normal human beings instead of being under the thumb of this fucking dictatorship. Zulfner, no Patreon for you unless you duel me first. I don't know how to duel. I would die. I would die if I dueled. So I'm sorry, I can't. That's okay, though. <laughs> Nervardia. Random science fact. There are carbon molecules that arrange in a Mobius conformation. A Mobius conformation is a 3D object that only has one side and one edge. That's interesting about that. Zolfner, I forgot Trump 2020. Absolutely not. Trump's a piece of garbage. Mikia Elizabeth Storm. I have PTSD, anxiety, and depression due to my religious upbringing. I attempted suicide on many occasions due to that upbringing. Yeah, I understand. I don't have PTSD from my religious upbringing, I don't think, but I have it. I have dealt with depression in the past. Currently, I do not. I don't think I really deal with anxiety outside of certain specific situations, but either way, uh, I, I empathize, so 
very sad to hear about this guy who got who died as a result of all this we'll make it through we'll all make it through one day at a time the biggest chungus d just wanted to say keep up the good work owen sorry for the low amount love your content that's not a low amount that's a lot thank you for anything at all you didn't have to do anything so thank you for watching and thank you for the super chat i love black sabbath this is from mike 34 dog I love Black Sabbath. All Black Sabbath. My favorite song is probably The Shining. The Eternal Idol was a fucking heavy album. Also, Headless Cross. Do you like Dio? I love Dio. I know of Dio, but I haven't really gotten into Dio very much. Um, I like Zach Wilde, Black Label Society. Uh, that's, that's pretty interesting. Black Sabbath is one of the few bands that I was allowed to listen to as a Jehovah's Witness because uh, my dad listened to them and he was like, you know, he kind of just looked the other way when I was listening to Black Sabbath. But I definitely love Black Sabbath and Zach Wilde and all those people. Try being born intersex into a fundamental church. Forced to be a boy when you see yourself as a girl. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine I cannot even imagine that type of situation. I have been asked this question before. What would happen if a trans person tried to join Jehovah's Witnesses? Uh, generally speaking, the answer is if you were born female, physically female, but you're a man, you would just have to become a female, period. That's it. That's the bottom line. There's no room for movement, no gray area of any sort. If you want to be a Jehovah's Witness, you have to be the sex that you were born as. And I can't imagine that that's good for mental health, to force people to be somebody that they just are not. It's extremely sad and depressing for those people. They have to go through it. But I'm glad that you're out of it now. That's really good news. Zolfner, my goddaughter is six and I just bought her a gun. You can't duel, sir? I can't duel. I'm no good at it. I would just straight up die. I'm sorry. I'm bad at it. Uh, I will duel you to give me something that's really flowery. Like I will, I will duel you to a writing contest and I bet I will kick your ass at that. <laughs> I can't duel you at a drinking contest because I don't drink. You'd kick my ass at that. Riley Mason's, even the pastor who said that at eight years old, my sexual abuse is my fault. I do not wish him death. I may disagree with him, but wishing death is wrong. I think, um, that's a very interesting point that you're making here. I don't know that wishing death is wrong inherently, but I think in most situations, people are the heroes of their own stories. So they believe that they are good people and doing the things that they do for good, honest, righteous reasons. Every now and then you get somebody who is a genuinely bad person and setting out to hurt people. But for the most part, I think that pretty much anybody you deal with on a daily basis is a good person inside. Even the worst people are good people inside, believe themselves to be good people, and believe themselves to be doing the right thing. Like you, you, what you said here, the pastor who told you that when you were eight years old, I don't know the situation. It's possible that he's genuinely an evil person. But my guess is that he thought he was doing the right thing, even though he obviously was not. He was causing more harm than good, objectively. And, and we can't forgive 
people for fucking up that badly. Society still has to be protected from them, and we still have to look out for the people around them to make sure they're not being harmed by this type of person. Whether their intentions were good or not does not matter, ultimately, uh, if they're hurting society. But when you look at things in that perspective, that most people are the heroes of their own stories, that they do have good intentions. They're just doing the wrong fucking thing sometimes. When you look at it from that perspective, things change a little bit. Your approach toward the justice system changes a little bit. It moves away from punishment and moves toward rehabilitation, trying to fix it so that they're, they, they aren't hurting people around them anymore. Like, we... Personally, I would rather try to save people and bring them out of this brainwashed stupor that they're in, like Jehovah's Witnesses. I want to bring them out of this brainwashed mess that they're in right now, uh, rather than condemning them for all of the people that they've dragged down with them. I could sit here and say, my mom brought in like four Jehovah's Witnesses. How much... How much damage did she do to those four people's kids how much emotional damage and she's kind of on the hook for that but she thought she was doing the right thing so generally speaking i try to approach things from that type of perspective people are the heroes of their own stories they believe themselves to be good people and if we keep that in mind for the most part we sh we'll be able to focus on rehabilitation, fixing the problem, rather than trying to punish people for the fuck-ups that they've done. My first major was English, you'd lose. Zolfner, okay, well, you're on. Couldn't tell. Ugh, sick burn. Couldn't tell that was your first major. <laughs> Lucifer Lafleur, duel him in Yu-Gi-Oh. I don't know Yu-Gi-Oh. I would absolutely suck at that. Also, I'm 120 pounds, but anyone in this chat would lose a drinking contest with me. Let's make that clear. You're 120 pounds. Interesting. I'm 135 pounds. I got 15 pounds on you. Uh, I've weighed the same since high school. That's pretty funny. Leah Bryant. When I get enough karma on Reddit, I'm going to start an anti-NIFB subreddit. Would you like to be a mod when I make it? Any advice on running it? I don't have a whole lot of time, unfortunately, to do things like that. I can't even run my own subreddit, unfortunately. But that does sound really interesting. I, I'm pretty excited for that. I would love to see that. I will go there and sometimes participate if I can. Uh, sounds pretty cool. Mike34dog. Sometimes I want to jump off a bridge. I have a life to live, though. What would my cats do? Or my fish? I deal with hate and envy, too. Uh, let's see. It sucks. I'm morbidly obese. I thought being condescending was helpful until I was 21. Yeah. Pretty much everybody in my family has dealt with morbid obesity, except for me and for my brother. In my case, my situation is not anywhere near, like, what it would be like to deal with morbid obesity like that. But I do deal with people talking shit to me about my weight because I, you know, I'm 135 pounds and everybody thinks that they can kick my ass as a result and make that very clear. Or when I go to a, you know, a counter to buy like a piece of candy or something. I went to a counter recently to buy a Cadbury egg like a few months ago, maybe even a year ago. I don't remember. And the woman behind the counter was like, you're going to eat that whole thing in one sitting, aren't you? It's disgusting. It's like, are you talking shit about my body right now? Like, how do you think that makes me feel? 
do you think it makes me feel good to know that you think that I'm disgusting, that you don't like the way I look? Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Why would somebody do that? You know what? If you're going to talk shit about my weight, I'm going to talk shit about your weight. If you could control your eating a little bit more, maybe you wouldn't be so fucking fat. Like, that's how it felt. Like, she was saying that to me in reverse. It was really shitty. I can't stand when people talk shit about other people's weight. They have no idea what you're going through. They have no idea what you are going through, and you have no idea what they're going through. So don't fucking bring it up, as far as I'm concerned. Shit bothers me a lot, man. Seriously. It really bothers me. If people don't like the way you live your life, good for them. They're not living it. You are. Just fuck them. Seriously bothers me. But it, it's body shaming that's the problem. Body shaming is the problem. Not fat shaming, not skinny shaming. Body shaming. Making somebody feel bad for something that... Is for who they are, for what they're dealing with right now. It's wrong. Just don't fucking do it. I don't get it. Like, what is wrong with people? Evan Inge says, where would you draw the line between completely deluded and evil? And how would one tell? It's a good question. Generally speaking, I think we have to assume the best in people until we're given reason to think otherwise. The default position is actually not believing that they're well-intentioned or bad-intentioned. But I try to see the good in people. If at all possible, I'm going to assume they're, they're good people at heart, they're well-intentioned, they're just misguided. Don't attribute malice to that which could be attributed to stupidity. Is that the saying? I think that's the saying. When you look at it that way, everything changes. Your perspective really changes. Your approach toward criminal justice changes. Everything does. Sometimes you know that somebody is truly evil. But for example, people have asked me, do I think the governing body members know it's a scam? Or do I think that they believe their own propaganda? And I err on the side of thinking that they believe their own propaganda. It's possible that they know it's a scam and they're setting out to scam people. The odd one here or there. But generally speaking, I think that they they buy their own bullshit. And that's kind of how it is with every cult leader for the most part. I think Jim Jones knew what he was doing and he I think he had ill intent. I think he was malicious and was planning to scam people. But people like Doe from Heaven's Gate, Teal Swan, the Mormon leadership, the Jehovah's Witness leadership, I think that they're just, I think that they're well-intentioned, but heavily misguided. I think that's what it, what it really comes down to for them. I think Scientology, though, the leader, David Miscavige, I think he's straight up evil. I think he has bad intentions, just from what I know of the, the group. Zolfner, Trump 2020, nope. Trump's a piece of shit. I think he's, uh, you know, this is a good opportunity to mention this. Um, I think Trump is, um, I think Trump is just in it for himself. I don't think he has malicious intentions. I think he's just interested in benefiting himself any way he can. And I, you know, beyond that, I think that there are other people that he's willing to help. Like, I think he's willing to help his kids, for example, and things like that. But when he does, he will fuck over anybody. He will do whatever. He doesn't even care. He will fuck over anybody. 
to further his kids' goals or the person he's trying to help's goals. I mean, look at, he was taking masks from countries that had already paid for them, just stealing them right off the tarmac. He was working for America in that case, I guess. But it was so immoral, the things that he was doing. It was so wrong. It was just awful. Like, I don't want that shit done in my name. So I think he's like a weird combination of evil and good intentioned in different ways. Mikia Elizabeth Storm. I've been in the middle of a debate on a Facebook post about Alabama opening. I live in Alabama. Okay, I live in West Virginia. The stupidity I'm dealing with, being told I'm quoting fake news, that the virus is fake, etc. I know. Don't even get me started. I know. I went to Walmart earlier to get a couple of things, and there were a few people wearing masks. I'd say maybe 50% of the people I passed were wearing masks, but like 90% of the people who were wearing masks were wearing them wrong. How do you wear a mask wrong? They were wearing it like under their nose or just on their chin, or they were like pulling it down to talk to people. Like, Do you not understand the point of the mask? It's to like shield your breath from like shooting viruses out. Why are you doing that? You're, you don't even wear the mask. You're giving people around you a false sense of security by wearing one. This is so stupid. And you're giving yourself a false sense of security. Just take that fucking thing off. Don't wear the mask if you're gonna wear it wrong. Do we really need like an instruction manual, like a fucking 15 page instruction manual with a description about how to put a mask on is it really that complicated i saw this lady on facebook say that shelter in place is no way to live i responded dying is no way to live either but go off i guess it's a good point dying is no way to live either yeah somebody was saying recently like we're never gonna recover from this never and i was like you're right we're still dealing with the consequences of the 1918 Spanish flu like we're we were still in quarantine up to 2019 from the Spanish flu we never got out of quarantine we never recovered never there was never an economic recovery or anything from the 1918 flu it was awful and it's still awful I understand that people are stressed out and freaking out about this I am too in my own way and in my own time, but this is really what's best for society at this immediate moment. If we can stick it out for just a couple more months, then we'll we'll be in a much better place than we are right now. Uh, this is Leah Bryant. It's Christian entitlement. My religion, Wicca, has been primarily online for a long time. Christianity is not used to it. They need to get over it. it you're right. It is largely Christian entitlement. People just convinced that the man is out to get them when they are the man. Like, it's a fucking joke. Do you think that evil people can save themselves? Do I think they can save themselves? Um, I think it's heavily dependent on the situation. Generally, I think that people, for the most part, are going to go about their lives as they always have, unless there's intervention from the outside, for the most part. If somebody is truly evil, like, if they really are setting out to fuck people over to benefit themselves, and they know that's what they're doing, and they're doing it intentionally, I think that they are savable. I, I, I feel like I have to come into every situation assuming that everybody is savable. Everyone is redeemable, even if they aren't. I feel like I have to assume that they are. So my answer to that would be a tentative yes, even though maybe not. <laughs> Does that make sense? Or am I making sense or am I just full of shit? I don't know. 
See, Evan Inge, when people call their local government to ask if drinking bleach is good for you, I'm starting to think that everyone needs an instruction label. Yeah, me too. I swear people are so fucking stupid here, it blows my mind. I do not get it. How are people still alive? I don't know. Somebody tell me. How do we still exist as a species? I believe, this is just me, the Pareto Principle. I believe 20% of the world's population is really actually pretty on point and intelligent and supports the other 80% of the population who are complete fucking dipshits and who inevitably will get everybody killed, not just themselves. Uh, that's, that's my take on it. That's my suspicion. Anyway, I'll tell you what, that's where I'm going to end it for the night. I appreciate you guys coming on and giving this a listen. It went pretty late, but I thought it was really interesting. All right, guys, thanks for coming. I will talk to you next week. If you like what I do and you want to make sure I can continue to do it, you can support me in a few ways. First, you can support me on Patreon. That's probably the best way. But if you want to get something back for your support, you can check out my Teespring. I sell all kinds of shirts and stickers and stuff on there. Second, you can support me by checking out my Etsy store. I sell 3D printed stands for every system from the original Nintendo to the Xbox One. And finally, if you want to support me in other ways, you can check me out on my other channels. I have the podcast channel, which is where I talk about whatever's on my mind. Politics, social issues, whatever. You can also find it everywhere podcasts can be found. Or you can check out the videos on my main channel where I focus on destructive cults. As it is with most channels these days, I rely on the support of viewers like you to keep my channel alive, so sharing my work is extremely helpful. Anyways, check me out in all those places if you haven't already. Thanks for listening, guys.